This episode is brought to you in partnership with Iowa's Healthiest State Initiative and Make It Okay. Did you know one in five will have some kind of mental illness in their lifetime? Make It Okay is a community campaign to reduce stigma by starting conversations and increasing understanding about mental illness. You can take the pledge at makeitokay.org slash Iowa. You're listening to Your Best Life, powered by Mercy One. Join us as we have a fun conversation with certified experts and physicians about health topics for you and your family. It's Your Best Life, our one purpose. So today we're going to do a Mercy One podcast, and we are with Dr. Tyler Van Milligan. And Dr. Tyler, can you tell us a little bit about your position and, you know, your expertise? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um... I am a psychiatric resident. I just started my fourth year of uh, the residency program here at Mercy One downtown, and I'm very excited. I can't believe residency is almost over, Um, but it's been a great experience, and uh, I'm happy to be here. Great. And how did you pick this field? Can I ask you that? Sure. I actually didn't know I wanted to go into medicine until I was... I'm what they call a non-traditional medical student, and I was the program manager for a uh, women's treatment facility with a dual diagnosis emphasis, meaning they look at women suffering from substance abuse disorders and mental health conditions with a trauma emphasis and um, how it impacts their families. I did that for about five or six years, kind of hit a ceiling with it and realized that there was a um, really high need for psychiatric providers and female providers in particular with um, four women who wanted gender-specific trauma-informed care. So it's like, what the heck? I'll I'll apply to med school. So I kind of knew going into med school that I wanted to do psychiatry and stuck with it the whole way. It really didn't, it didn't uh, shift too much. And um, I'm I'm glad that that's the direction it took. And um, I'm happy to be in Iowa now. That's great. Well, we're so happy to have you at in our facilities and um, our patients get to have your great care. Um, today, we want to talk a little bit about anxiety. Um, I'm sure you encounter that with a lot of your patients, um, but let's just start off on just, you know, what is anxiety and maybe what are some of the symptoms that people may experience with it? So I think a huge misconception too is that, you know, anxiety is always bad, right? So um, we have anxiety for a reason and there's, there's a biology to it. And that if, you know, you look at nature and other species, if there's a predator, you want to be anxious <laughs> and how that serves us is, you know, the, the antelope or whatever sees a predator, like the lion and they get super anxious. It activates an area of the brain, um, called the amygdala. And it's a very primitive part of the brain and it elicits elicits a response in the systemic nervous system to tell us, okay, remember this because we want to avoid this in the future. Fight or flight, right? Yeah, absolutely. Fight or flight. (laughs) So this is your heart rate, your breathing rate, and it kind of leaves a tattoo on your nervous system so that should a similar circumstance present itself, you're prepared. Where it can get um, disordered is if there's repeated exposure and throws everything off, 
um, like trauma, or um, there is a genetic predisposition for your brain to kind of linger in that feeling too long and get on a loop. Um, so even small things that maybe don't elicit such anxious feelings for others do for, for people suffering from anxiety disorders. So some common symptoms, if somebody's not really sure if they're experiencing anxiety, you know, what would be some telltale signs that maybe that's the, the direction um, of a diagnosis? Yeah. Um, so a, a lot of a common um, and consistent way that patients have described it to me is um, constant forecasting, like worst case scenarios. It's very hard for patients with anxiety to be in the moment and be present and feel okay. There's this almost irrational fear of what could possibly happen or navigation of various future scenarios or outcomes to things that consumes their thoughts and it manifests in their bodies with muscle tension, um, inability to relax, increased heart rate and physical restlessness. It can impact your sleep. Some patients sleep too little, it's broken, um, reduced appetite for some patients. Um, and if it gets significant enough, some patients can experience full-blown panic attacks where it can feel like a heart attack, uh, legitimate GI symptoms or, or stomach upset, nausea, vomiting, shortness of breath, sweating. So yeah, it's uh, it tends to be that sort of feeling like you are actually being hunted by a lion, um, but there really isn't a lion and you can't explain it. Right. So those physical symptoms are very real. It's not just in your head. It's there's definite signs and symptoms that are physical. A hundred percent. The nervous system is responding as if that threat is really, really there. It's very real. I think a lot of people say, like, why am I experiencing this? Like, what is triggering this? And do you have any advice for, you know, patients or people listening that they would just help them um, through that? Like the, the whys? Mm -hmm. And it looks different for everybody, I think. But it does respond to what, what we call uh, psychodynamic ther uh, therapy, where if you have a strong feeling like anxiety and it seems to be persistent in your life, um, paying attention to what seems to be triggering it for you in terms of relationships, events, making any correlation to things. Um, and then therapy can help patients relate that back to what experience they're drawing from in the past that is causing them to have these feelings today. Um, sometimes it can be a traumatic experience that they, um, didn't think was really actively present in their lives, but through therapy, they realize, oh, I'm, I'm feeling anxious when this, that, or the other thing happens because I really haven't worked on the trauma that happened 12 years ago. Um, so it takes uh, the ability to, you need to slow down, have some insight, and um, working with a therapist can really help you pin down where it's coming from. Um, so there absolutely is an environmental component to it. There is a genetic component to it as well. That isn't to say it's necessary either. Um, there are some people that are genetically predisposed to have anxiety that never have that stressful event that kind of sets it free. 
And there are people that don't have the genetic predisposition that end up having anxiety because they do have a lot of stress and stressful um, events that happen in their life. So that was going to be my next question, if it was genetic. And if so, you know, a lot of times those symptoms look different for each person. So, you know, even if your family member might have anxiety, it may not look the same for, for them or yourself, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And it, and it's shaped by what we go through and no individual experience is going to be the same as anyone else's. Right. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about triggers. And, you know, I know that'll be individual for each person and, you know, how to handle those triggers or stay away from them. Um, I think it might be a big component to somebody's uh, road to, you know, less anxiety in their life. Sure. Yeah. So, and I think you, you, you hit it spot on. I think that the, um, the tendency is to want to avoid them, right? Like if, if we hate heights, we want to avoid them at all costs. We get really, really anxious. Um, we avoid going on that roller coaster, tall buildings, because we don't want those feelings, which makes total sense. Um, and in some cases that might be helpful for a short period of time. Um, but during a, a, an assisted therapeutic process, exposure to those triggers um, in a way that can help you form a new relationship with them and elicit a different physical or neurological response can be very therapeutic. Um, that isn't to say on your own, go out there and you know associate yourself with everything that you find triggering, but know that subtle exposure in the right environment can actually be very therapeutic and avoidance can actually make it bigger, badder, and worse. Um, but triggers again, yeah, very individualized, depends on the person's history. Um, and, uh, and maybe recognizing those triggers, I, I think is the first step, right? <laughs> yes, for sure. Yep. So I know um, you talked a little bit about therapies, um, and I think a lot of people have anxiety about getting on a medication for anxiety. Um, so maybe just speak to that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and not uh, every anxious person or, you know, every anxiety disorder needs a medication. There are other options like therapy. Um, I know that there is, uh, there are certain, in, we call it integrative medicine approaches where you can, there's a close relationship between the gut microbiome and mood. So changes in your diet, exercise regimen, all of that will have an impact on the neurochemical balance in your brain. And those are things that can be explored if people do have some intense anxiousness about medications. Um, those that are kind of on the fence about them and um, have questions. I think what can really help with the anxiety is, is having as much education about them as possible and understanding what the risks versus benefits are. A majority of the medicines that we start for generalized anxiety disorder or anxiety disorders are fairly benign um, in terms of a side effect profile, um, but each one has a, has a nuance to it and discussing it with your provider uh, sometimes more common side effects with certain medicines can be beneficial. Um, if you're not sleeping well, those that make you a little tired might be helpful to take at night. Or 
So asking your provider these questions, I think can kind of put light on things in a way that'll alleviate the anxiety surrounding it all. And I I think it's important for patients to know that it's not a a full commitment to long-term use of the medicine. If you yourself decide that you don't like it, it's not working, it's a, it's a partnership with your provider and you're a team. They're not giving you the medicine. You guys are working on taking something together. So you can stop it if you want to and ask the questions um, that you feel like you want to ask. So I guess my final um, uh, area that I wanted to touch on was about how your family might be affected by your anxiety and you know how to, uh, as a whole family unit, maybe heal together or work on things together. And just want to get your thoughts on that. Sure. Yeah. And I like, so I, speaking personally, I have three uh, little girls, um, 15 months, six and almost nine. And if there's one thing I've, I've learned in this crazy road that we call parenting is that kids will um, learn and absorb based on what you're modeling more than anything else. Um, instead of instruction or, you know, even teaching them directly things, what is role modeled in the home is what they will replicate. Um, And even though we don't have control over our anxiousness, it is something that, that kids and um, it does affect them. They will, they will see it. They'll, they'll, they'll pick up on maybe some of the subtleties and the symptoms that you don't have direct consciousness of. And that can impact them. Um, it can, you know, develop a level of uncertainty and having the ability to talk about things in the family setting can be really helpful. Um, acknowledging that anxiety is there and that sometimes it happens and, and that's okay. And um, sometimes people do need to take medicine, brain medicine for it, just like they take medicines for other things. Um, but creating a, a discussion about things in the home where it can instill some level of safety um, so that the role modeling um, can shift back into a place that um, fosters open communication. Well, and that could be said for a, a partner or a spouse as well, you oh, know, oh. just that communication. And... Yeah. Well, thanks for visiting with us today about it. Um, of course. I'm- happy to um, just get some of this information out to our listeners. So thank you so much, uh, Dr. Van Milligan, for being our expert today. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed being here. Thanks. This episode was brought to you in partnership with Iowa's Healthy Estate Initiative and to Make It Okay. Make It Okay is here to help educate Iowans and get the conversations going about mental illness so we can end the stigma. Together, we can make it okay. Learn more at makeitok.org slash Iowa. If you have feedback on this episode, fill out the submission form at mercyone.org slash podcast, where you can find all of our other episodes, or send an email to podcast at mercyhealth.com.